Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 115 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 28, 2010. Can't believe the month of April is almost over and that means USC spring practice is almost over. But this this week on the podcast, we're going to talk about USC spring practice coming to an end. The Trojan huddle coming up on Saturday. Again, if you have any questions or comments, always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address we're going to first start to first talk to coach harvey hyde in the first segment we love to talk to the coach get his thoughts on what's going on around the usc program coach how you doing today i'm doing great my friend uh you know the uh, big uh, spring ball game on uh, saturday at 12 noon Uh, i've been out there every saturday and you know last saturday i just thought the guys were just a little bit tired they're tired of looking at each other and they're looking for the spring ball getting over I know that feeling is, but I think they always look forward to the spring game. The fans look forward to the spring game for sub, several reasons. First of all, to see how you can do to compete, and also after that you know you're done. And then you can get ready for the off season or rehab or do whatever you can do. But I think we got a lot to talk about today, and we'll talk about this uh, last Saturday and the practice we saw. We'll talk about any questions that people have for us. And uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good. And, uh, Coach, just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. Or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. They've been nice enough to sponsor the Peristyle Podcast first segment pretty much from the beginning. So we thanks to them. And if you need tickets for anything, go to SCTickets.com. Uh, you actually do need tickets this Saturday at the Coliseum at noon. It's $10 at the gate. So you can just go up there and buy your tickets. Or you can go to, I think, USCTrojans.com, and they'll have tickets there. Um, but it should be an interesting spring game, end of spring. It's gone a little bit longer, five weeks uh, this time, Coach. And I talked to some of the players. They seem to be really excited about having spring practice kind of spread out a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of pads practice, full pads practice almost every day. Um, so they've they've definitely got a workout in there. But the fact that they spread it out a little bit, it gives the t- players the time to rest and recover and watch film. So I think overall – the uh, the the way spring has been conducted by Lane Kiffin and the staff has been well received, I, and I agree with you. And I tell you, it's one week uh, longer, but you have more time to recover between practices. Believe me, and uh, you get beat up, and you get sore, and uh, you can't practice, and you spend, you don't have time to get in the training room to get some treatment, and it's a grind when you go faster than that. And and I really do think uh, spring practice has been good. I think it's a uh, what I've liked about it, too, Ryan, what I've liked about it, the practice times are always the same and always the same day, and you know what to expect uh, as far as on Saturday and the scrimmages. And it wasn't before, and, and nothing against it, but it was just I used to have to call to say, what time's practice today? And it would sometimes be on a Sunday, and then sometimes I would go over there and practice wasn't going that day. <laughs> it was just canceled. I don't know. Did that ever happen to you? 
Yeah, sometimes they change things around a little bit. But uh, yeah, you would call me, coach. You would call, hey, Ryan, when's practice? So it was, it was a little change. They they put it on Friday sometimes. They put it on Sunday sometimes. This way, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It was always the same time. I think it just made the routine. I think helped the players and helped us covering it. It did. It did. And you get into a rhythm, and you get into habits, and and so on. And you can still have a good weight program during spring ball where the kids can still get in the weight room and still lift weights and so on. And you still have time for academics and so on. And you have a lot more time to break down videos and so on. So I like the format that they use this year. Well, let's talk about the uh, scrimmage on Saturday. You mentioned it briefly that you know, some of the guys were a little tired, um, but you got to see the last couple of them. And, and what did you see mostly on Saturday? What kind of stood out for you at the scrimmage on Saturday? Well, you know, uh, excuse me, one thing is you hear Coach Pippen talking about the running game, the running game, the running game, and I agree with him 100%. I tell you, you've got to have a, be able to run the football, or you're not really a great football team. We talked about special teams last week and how important that is as far as uh, being able to have great special teams too. But running the football means you're a tough football team. You can pound it out. You can hammer people you can drive down the field to use up the clock when you're ahead in a close football game you can punch it in on a, a short yardage play on the goal line you don't have to risk you know throwing the football and so on and he's been really working on this now it's been difficult for the offense because first of all it's sort of a change of philosophy in the entire team as far as toughness on offense and what i mean you can't just immediately make an offense tough but he's worked real hard in making that happen. He has pounded that into him. He's put them into difficult situations. They haven't had a, a lot of offensive linemen this spring, so these offensive linemen have had to go many, many reps, which, you know, of course tires them against a real strong defensive front, and it sort of wears them out, but they, but they haven't complained. They get out there and they drive the football and so on, and I can see when he's happy sometimes when he, and when he isn't. And you can't always be negative. If you're negative all the time, you say, we can't run the football, we can't run the football, we can't run the football. Before long, kids say, we can't run the football. So you've got to be positive, and you've got to have positive moments uh, in, in practice or in scrimmages. And you can't allow your defense to dominate your offense all the time, or all of a sudden your offense loses its confidence. So when good things happen on offense, you notice Coach Kiffin points them out. Last week, I think they had 182 yards in rushing uh, during the, the, I think, 90 plays or whatever they did, 81-play scrimmage. He pointed that out. Now, they weren't grind-out yards. What I mean by that, they weren't yards where you got three yards, five yards, first down, uh, three yards, eight yards, first down. It, it was more or less uh, bigger plays by Bradford on that one run, which he looked tremendous at. You and I were talking when he went right by us. I don't know. I think I might have ducked my head or done one of those lookout tackles too, you know, right. <laughs> when he gets rolling. But, uh, you know, you point that out. You point out good things, but you want positive things to happen so your team gets confidence along the way. So I, I think he's working on that. I think the offensive line has got to continue to grow and get stronger and I think they've got to be able to have confidence and finish the block and so on. Uh, the defense is playing really well, I think, under uh, the defensive staff. And the offense, of course, you know, is still trying to, as Coach Kiffin has said, find its identity. 
it's basically the same type of offense or same philosophy of offense that they had there before with a few wrinkles here and there. But the number one wrinkle I see is a trend to make them tougher, to make them tougher. Now, they already are tougher on defense, but you can't help but be tough with Coach Monty Kiffin, Barry, uh, Ed Orgeron, and, and that group over there. You're just going to be tough or else you're going to be in trouble. On offense, they you have to be able to have technique, perform your technique, but you, too, have to have a toughness in you. And that means not only the line, but I'm talking about the receivers, the running backs, the whole philosophy. And I think that's the one identity that Coach Kiffin is trying to make out there. And, and I, he keeps pounding that into him that we are going to be tough. We are going to be able to run the football. He talks about running the football as far as when I read between the lines more than passing the football. I really believe that. I think it's a key to him because when you run the football, you can play action pass off of that. And that is so hard to stop, especially when you have a a running game that's feared by the defense. So if he can get that running game going, then you're going to have a good play-action game, and I think that that will really help the USC offense. I'll tell you one kid that I mentioned to you, I believe I was standing next to you, that I've liked in the spring, and that's Cameron at tight end. I think he's made some good plays for just being moved in there this spring. He's caught some footballs. Uh, he's probably not the best blocker, but uh, just who is out there that's doing a great job of blocking. Ellison, of course, is not there. He's got Mono. Ailes has been up and down with concussions and knees and everything else. And to me, this spring is Ailes is going to make it or not going to be. They're not going to count on it. He's been hurt. He's got to get out there. He's got to perform. He's got to get it done. And uh, they're trying to fight a tight end. If there's one position out there on offense that they really need to identify as their guy, I think it's going to be tight end. And I think it can only help Jordan Cameron's cause that he's pretty much the only scholarship guy out there all the time. They've had Osbury play there a little bit, and it looked like Ailes and uh, Ellison might be able to come back. They would put the pads on a little bit, but yesterday out of practice, they were on the sidelines again, no pads. So it's I think it's really set those guys back a little bit. I mean, I think Pete Carroll knew what he had in those guys, but this is Lane Kiffin's first go around. And, you know, there's the first chance he would get to see them. They didn't really get to show him any, anything. So, but a guy like Cameron comes in who was playing receiver, who was playing basketball a couple of years ago and boom, comes in, makes a lot of big plays. They've been throwing him the ball down the field. And uh, I, I think he's getting a lot of reps just because like you said, there's not a lot of tight ends in there. He seems to be making the most of his opportunities. And I wouldn't be surprised you know, to see him get to play this fall because everything he's showing in the spring. I agree with you 100%. And uh, for the first time in a long time, I saw Martin Coleman out there and uh, number 72. And, you know, he's been a guy that's been a maybe, uh, hasn't lived up to what his potential was coming out of high school, came out early and so on. Uh, he's got to get his himself into football, could be a great football player, came in as a great football player, has sort of been uh, diverted a little bit as far as away from football. But the offense needs offensive linemen, you know, and they need to get them ready to play. So, uh, you know, uh, you got to put them in there. they got to play. they got to get their butts kicked once in a while so you can show it on film. That's the only way you can get better. And he's having an opportunity of playing some. And if everybody was healthy, maybe he wouldn't be playing all the time. So uh, I think, I think uh, that's the number one thing they're trying to – 
to get out there. And that's, of course, uh, the toughness back in the SC football program. Not that it didn't have it, but I'm talking when you line up and you say 28 pitch, you run 28 pitch, and you say, please, in fact, before you run the play, you call it on the line of scrimmage and you tell the defense, hey, let me tell you what play we're running. We're running the play right over here, try to stop it. And you run that play. And you make your yards. Now, that's what the philosophy is they're trying to get back into it, I think. I agree. And I think uh, with the way the Pac-10 is now, where it's becoming more of a running conference, I think Orgeron is loving that. I mean, it, you know, they love stopping the run and trying to run the football. He has this defensive line playing extremely well, and they're deep. And I don't think a lot of people expected that. He's got guys that, you know, the, the Derek Simmons of the world, or the John Harris's, who people would have written off before. Now they're a key part of things. And the fact that he's going four or five deep, you know, in the tackles, he's going at least that deep on the ends, I think that's just going to help this defensive line develop. And, under, you know, this – this is all about coaching, I think, and he's really fired some of these guys up and he's changed the attitudes. Like you said, they brought a certain toughness there. They have made it extremely hard on this offensive line, who's, who's done pretty well. Uh, and I think the numbers, you know, they haven't been gifted with great numbers on the offensive line, and too many guys have been out, like Zach Heberer and Butch Lewis and stuff like that. So they've really had to hold up. And, you know, getting a guy like Martin Coleman, who's a big body in there, I think that has to help as well. I'm curious to see what happens at the huddle, because if they really only have seven guys or so, maybe they'll have eight. I don't know. It's hard to say coming into the huddle, who's going to be able to participate. That's a lot of guys going both ways uh, against that defensive line. And the first, the first defensive line is not that much better than the second defensive line. So both, (laughs) both ways, you're going to have your hands full if you're playing on the offensive line. Well, that just makes them better football players. That's what it does. When you go against good football players or great football players, when you go against an opponent who may not be as good, it uh, really uh, shows that th- what the difference is. And you become greater by going against good football players, not just once a week when you play someone, but every day when you practice against someone. That's when you get better. So when you get better, it's during practice, not just in the game. So you want to go against better players because that's where you grow. That's where you learn how to block or move your feet or get in position to make a block and so on. And, you know, remember, you, you just said something a minute ago, like the teams Oregon and all these other teams that throw the ball around. When you can run the football against teams like that, you keep their offense off the field. And the best defense is your own great offense that moves the football and doesn't turn the ball over and does control the clock where those other teams don't have that opportunity to get in there and score all the time. You're not just running three plays and you're out. When you maintain ball control of a ball game, you're controlling the ball game, ball game, and you're reversing everything on those type of teams that run up and down the field and run all these options and so on, and all of a sudden the pressure's on them that, hey, we're not going to get the ball back for seven minutes. We better score on this. So uh, I think a lot of the philosophy here, is to that, where we're going to go in the game. These guys all week work on options. They don't see a power game like we have. And we're going to hold the ball. We're going to pound them. They're not going to get the ball back. We're going to be able to drive the length of the field, play action pass, and they're going to play our game. We're not going to play their game, catch a football or throw the ball all over the field. So I think there's a a method uh, here that uh, has a philosophy that uh, I think will be good. All right. Well, let's get to a question, Coach. Uh, This is from Aaron. He is a Trojan fan in Virginia. Thank you for writing in, Aaron. It's directed at you, Coach Hyde. 
with all the camps going on, USC just had their Nike camp over the weekend. Well, it wasn't USC's Nike camp. It was the Los Angeles Nike camp, but it was held at USC. USC will be doing a lot of their camps coming up in June. But there's a lot of different prospects working out. These high school players, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. What did you look for when you were a coach besides 40 times, vertical leap, all those measurables? Um, there's a lot of prospects out there that can play. What were you like when you were recruiting? What attributes did you like to look for in a player? Well, you know, first of all, I think sometimes people overvaluate me. I, I could I, 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 I could watch one reel, reel of film and say, turn it off, uh, get that guy on the phone. I want to talk to him. Uh, sometimes you overvaluate it. You get confused. You see him too much, and you, and you, one day he has a great day, one day he doesn't. I can, I can watch a kid, and I can tell if he's a football player. I want a football player. I want a guy that loves the game of football, first of all, where it means something to him. Not that school doesn't mean something to him, but football is something he just loves. He grew up in a, his crib. He had a football in his crib. And he was playing with it, not with toys and dolls, but he had a football he was playing with. That's the type of attitude of a kid I like. First of all, if you look at any one thing about a football player, it's speed. Number two, it's quickness. You know, you can be quick, but you don't have, you're not necessarily fast. But if you have a combination of quickness and speed, you can't replace that. That is something that in any sport, in any sport, You've got to be fast and quick. So my first things, uh, I mean, as far as vertical jump and all that, yeah, I think it's great. But if you're going to be a vertical, if, you, if a vertical jump beats that much, do you go out for the high jump, okay? <laughs> or, 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 or something like that. My, my point is a football player doesn't have to jump 38 inches for me to be a football player, okay? I mean, yeah, it's nice if he can do that, and it's nice if he can dunk and do all these things after he scores. He can jump up and dunk the ball over the crossbar, which now would be a penalty. But, you know, my thing is, is those things are important. But when I see the linemen doing the standing long jump three in a row and they're measuring how far they're going, <laughs> I say, what are we doing here? I mean, when is, when is that applied in football? Have you ever seen the technique when a guy bends over and leapfrogs six feet or whatever it is, and they measure it. What, what, where do you see that in football? I don't know. And I don't know when you see in football guys standing under a, a, a thing they got to knock and they jump straight up in the air and spin this thing so they can measure how high they jump. I don't know. Me, it's how fast you get off, to the, ground, off the ground if you get knocked down, how to get to the football, what's your reaction. You know, you can run fast and do some of these things, but you're not a football player. There's some players that are track guys playing football and they just don't make it. You have to become a football player. So, you know, a football player is a football player, and there's been a lot of great football players who can't long jump or do some of these drills that they do out there. In fact, yeah, it's nice to see them do a lot of these drills, but I want to see them in full pads in a game against competition, the last play of the game as well as the first play of the game, and see just what their speed is. How do they play the game? Is, do they play it wired up? Is their motor running the entire game, not only on the field but on the sideline? That's what I look for in a football player. I want a guy that loves the game, that wants to play football. I don't want a guy that, you know, can pass all of these, I mean, you know, bench press 
225 pounds 50 times or 100 times, then he ought to be an Olympic lifter. You know, I, I think it's important to be strong, and you do work out, and you do all of these things. That, but all the lifts should be related to football, should be a team type of lifting thing where everybody sees each other doing it. And, uh, you know, so that you prevent injuries, basically, and uh, get yourself ready to play. So a football player, that's what I look for first. Now, you, you mentioned looking at the, the tapes. Was there a big difference? I mean, did you rather see a whole game tape versus a highlight tape? And I know, like, now you, you know, players can put their highlights. Never hi- a highlight tape, yeah. ever. They put highlights on YouTube and stuff like that. We obviously yeah. put a lot of that on Rivals.com. You know, we'll put up highlights. Now, back in your day, Coach, you might have had, like, black and white reel-to-reel stuff, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, don't laugh about it. We did. <laughs> but the, but so it, you'd rather see a game tape of a player than just their highlights because you want to see how oh. they play. Yeah. Sure, I wanted to see him when he get his butt kicked too. I want to see the whole thing and how he reacts to that. Uh, I don't just want to see the good things he did. Um, obviously, I can make money even even of myself a great highlight film. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm a football player. I want to see a game when he has to play the entire game against a good team and how he reacts. Not just when they win, but when they lose. Uh, and you know, I like that. I like watching kids play because a lot of times when I watch game films, I spot other players who are good players, too, and no one told me about them. And I say, who's that guy? Let me tell you a story. When I found Icky Woods, he was at Edison High School in Fresno. I was watching Edison High School's film, and this kid was running up and down the football field, and he looked, holy cow. I said, who's that guy? And they said, that's, oh, that's Icky Woods, coach. I said, well, Where's he at? Oh, he didn't play football. He got hurt and tore his knee up and so on, but he didn't play. And I said, well, man, that's a guy I want to talk to. Who's recruiting him? Nobody. Fresno State's trying to get him to walk on. I said, that kid's a football player. So they found him for me, and I talked to him. I asked him how his knee was and so on. He didn't play a senior season. And I asked him to get his grades up and so on. And if he got his grades up, I'm going to give you a full scholarship, son. You are a football player. I'm willing to take a chance on you. And I'll tell you, it was great. We beat Fresno State. Sweeney has been mad at me ever since <laughs> because because he was he was trying to get him to walk on, and I scholarshiped him, and we got him at UNLV. And the thing that really made Sweeney mad, we played in the California Bowl that, bowl that year against Toledo, and I put him in just to put him in, and he scored a touchdown at home. And everybody in the stands went crazy and so on, and and it was just great. So, you know, there's stories like that. So when you watch a game, you know, I found George Thomas like that. George Thomas played in the NFL about 10, 12 years, a receiver from Indio High School. I was watching somebody else on the film, and they were running the wishbone Indio High School. And George was standing out there as a receiver. They never throw the ball to anybody in the wishbone. It was a split receiver. So I kept watching this kid run down the field, run down the field. I looked him up, and he was a CIF champion in the 100 meters. And then they threw him a ball, and when they threw him the ball, he was about 10 yards past everybody. I said, I want to talk to that kid. And I talked to George Thomas. He came to UNLV, uh, was a great player for us, played in the NFL with the Falcons for years. And here's a kid that maybe caught 15 footballs in high school. <laughs> wow. Uh, they run the wishbone. You know what I mean? Nobody would know, but I would have never found him unless I watched a game film. I was watching someone else, and this guy jumped out on the screen. 
When a football player jumps out on the screen at you, you say, who is that guy? And sometimes you find guys you weren't even looking for uh, by watching a film that's not a highlight film. All right, Coach. Well, thanks uh, Thanks for answering Aaron's question. Thank you for sending that in, Aaron. Again, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to answer them. And, Coach, thanks again. It was a great segment, and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you next week about what you see at the Trojan Huddle. Right. What are you trying to do? Get rid of me already? Yeah, you know, 25 minutes, Coach. We've got a good segment going. Okay, buddy. Right. I'll, then I'll see you down at the Coliseum, okay? That sounds good. You take care, and everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in this segment by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan, what's going on, sir? Hey, not much. We're almost there. Uh, one practice uh, without pads uh, Thursday, and then uh, got the huddle on, on Saturday. And I know the huddle will be fun, and people get to see him. Uh, play in a game type situation but i think we've pretty much seen about as much as we're going to see and uh kind of know as much as as we're going to know and you know there may be guys like ronald johnson who aren't there uh saturday and some offensive linemen and what have you but i think we've seen an awful lot that uh that usc fans are going to like about um uh how this program's uh you know, uh, you know where it's headed and how they're uh, how they're going about what they're doing. So it's a kind of an upbeat uh, upbeat time, I think, for USC football. Yeah, certainly. And uh, you know, we want to talk about the huddle a little bit. You know, we've got to see the last few scrimmages. I guess one of the two, I guess two factors we want to look for in the huddle is, and we talked about this with Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment a little bit. Don't have a lot of um, numbers on the offensive line, um, so those guys going to be going both ways. I think they've played pretty well for the numbers that they've had, and then also the linebacker situation. Uh, you wrote about that in your practice report from yesterday. Chris Calippo probably going to get some playing time on the outside as well. Let's maybe get some of your thoughts going into the huddle of those kind of storylines going on there. Well, I think uh, the thing to watch at the offensive line is uh, uh, if you look on the left side and you see uh, Khalid Holmes at guard and, uh, and, uh, and Matt Khalil at tackle, I think you're going to see two redshirt sophomores who uh, could be fixtures for three years, uh, and, and they have just come together, those two. I mean, I, I'm just – all of a sudden you see Matt Khalil. Okay, this is exactly the guy you, – you know, you saw this big rangy kid coming out of high school, five-star, you know, player. And uh, for two years maybe we haven't seen him, and we kept saying, you know, well, he, you know, he's Ryan Khalil's younger brother – Come on, you know this is going and well now it's happened. You know he's he's six seven, three hundred and three pounds. Uh, he's quick, he's aggressive, he's got real good hands, real good feet, and he just likes to block people. And uh, and Khalid Holmes just almost like his body changed in a year, you know, and he looks you know more like an NFL lineman right now. 
uh, and he leaned out a little bit, and he got, you know, he just he just looked so solid at that at that spot. And I think Chris O'Dowd has really, you know, stepped up at center to the challenge. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's been he's played, uh, you know, with uh, bumps and bruises and things, you know, but he's moving around better. I really liked. I was always a little worried about some of his, you know, his movement. And he'd often been injured and had issues with the, you know, kneecap twice and all that kind of thing. But I see him, and you say, geez, you know, these guys. There's only seven of them most days, and yet. They're really pushing themselves, and the coaches are pushing them. They don't say, oh, take it easy the last half hour or whatever. These guys, very often the last half hour practice is their best half hour. So uh, I think you can watch the offensive line and say, okay, we're not going to see, you know, Butch Lewis. We're not going to see Zach, you know, Heber. We're, you know, we're we're going to have to kind of wonder about that. But, uh, but I, and I think Tyron Smith has found a home, at, you know, that right tackle where I think they've figured out, this is what we want him to do. This is how we want him to do it. And, uh, and so, uh, and, and, and they turned it into a positive. They turned in the fact to these kids, you're going to get more reps every day against a really good defensive line, a deep, uh, you know, challenging defensive line. And we're going to turn it into a positive. I thought they've done a pretty good job, uh, protecting the quarterback. And I think they've, uh, on certain situations, especially with Alan Bradford hitting the quick stuff, they've uh, they've blocked the run pretty well. I mean, they're getting better and they're concentrating on it. And I think the coaches, have, you know, uh, have done a good job there. As far as linebacker, I mean, I like the idea that. Uh, I mean, I think they think right now they've got four starting linebackers, and that uh, Chris Gallipo, uh You know, you rather than if somebody goes down, you don't want to be backing them up. Maybe backing them up with your fifth or sixth kid. Why not back him up with a kid that you consider a starter? So if uh, they get Chris Gallipo to the point where he really is comfortable playing, especially that strong side, which I thought yesterday he already figured out, I don't have to call the plays. I don't have to basically, uh, you know, be ready to do four or five different things in a in a confined area. So that I, you know, the play's coming to me pretty much at the time if I'm playing that strong side linebacker. And all I got to do is go out there and play. And, uh, so I, I like, you know, the way he was uh, he was looking at that. Uh, so, and obviously, Kennard, you know, he's got a lot to learn. When you think of, you know, he's got to become, here's a guy that first eight games last year had his hand down on, the, uh, you know, as a defensive end. Now he's having to call out, you know, all of the, you know, the court, he's got to be the quarterback on defense. He's calling out the coverages and all of the things that he's got to do, and yet he looks like he's comfortable with heck doing it. And, he just glides. It's the thing uh, Joe Barry was talking about him about how how smooth he is. He said he's just uh, you know we were talking yesterday. We we're kidding about it. He, he I'm trying to think who it was. He ran over at the sidelines, and he it's like he just erased. We talked about him as the eraser. He just sort of you know they vanish after he runs you know runs past them, and he doesn't even make you know any special effort to uh, you know like when Ray Maluga would do that. You could tell Ray was actually eliminating them if he could. Uh, Kennard just runs through them, and then they're gone. You know, it's just kind of an amazing watching uh, that kid, uh, you know. And then I think, and we're going to talk about this uh, today for tomorrow, uh, they're really challenging Malcolm Smith and Michael Morgan. Joe Barry said, look, guys, you're seniors, you're experienced, you've got a lot of potential. This is the year. You two, both of you, 
we expect you to have absolutely best years you can possibly have. He said, we're not saying that they got to be a top 10 draft pick, but he said, we expect these two to be really, really, really good and really challenge themselves and really do it right this year. Now, if you get that, if you get those two to play up to their potential every single game and you get Galippo healthy and well-conditioned after working really hard in the offseason instead of having surgery, and then you get Kennard developing as he could, I mean, the position goes from the one that everybody said was the question mark and, oh, how are we going to be a linebacker to, you know, one of the real strengths of the team, which I is my inclination is that position is going to be a strength uh, and, and not a not any kind of a problem. All right. Well, it makes sense, Dan. And uh, I, well, I'm curious to see what's going to go on down there. It should be should be fun to watch the first big time scrimmage at the Coliseum under Lane Kiffin. So lots uh, lots of storylines to watch out for. We'll be checking that out. We had a couple questions though, Dan. If we can uh, get to those, um, Perry wanted to know. It's been eight weeks. This is more of the NCAA, NCAA violation stuff. Eight weeks since the since USC met with the NCAA. What perception around campus with the coaching staff and SC administrators? What is the perception for the possibility of sanctions? What are your, what's your take on the whole situation, Dan? Well, my, my sense of the coaches is either they're really, really, really good actors, or they really they've decided it's not something that they're, you know, that they can do anything about or that they're directly involved in, uh, you know, for most, you know, most of the coaching staff. And it's just not worth, worth their time to be thinking about it and to worry about it because they've got plenty of other things to do. As far as the USC administration, you know, I, I talked to some who are just, you know, kind of like, well, what do you think? You know, and <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, you know, okay, so I, I will uh, c- confess to this. For one year as assistant athletic director at Xavier University, I was also a compliance guy. That's a long time ago, and the rule book was a whole lot smaller than it is now. But my take on this whole thing is the USC investigation and the USC hearing and the circumstances of this USC case are so unlike anything else we've ever seen. I mean, basically, where the money was supposedly involved in the whole situation, it was, in a way, not to encourage kids to go to USC, not to encourage, you know, to keep, you know, keep them there, not to help USC. Basically, if you follow the money, the money was to uh, get them to leave USC, to get them out of USC, to get them, you know, the money was involved totally with non-USC issues. So, you know, it's not like uh, some booster, you know, Alabama, you know, trying to take care of the kids for, you know, a couple of years or or a guy at Oklahoma giving, you know, an All-American running back a a brand new car to drive around town while he's in school. That didn't that wasn't the case at USC. These people had no connection to USC, Uh, uh, you know, and, and basketball, you know, that's where the, the fact that they allowed uh, Rodney Guillory to be involved with uh, Jay Mayo, uh, you know, that's where the NCA has the ability to say lack of institutional control. But it's really, I think, a stretch for the NCA to put those together the way uh, people say they are looking at it. Now, that doesn't mean that's how they're going to 
you know, that's the ultimate finding uh, is going to be putting those two together. But I think because it's such a one-of-a-kind case, one-of-a-kind circumstances, I've just told people I'm not even going to try to guess how they do this because, you know, if they if they come down hard on USC because they say, well, it took us five years and nobody would talk to us, uh, well, there are only two, you know, two people involved in terms of talking to them that way uh, in terms of USC people. Uh, that doesn't look fair, but I know if they really say, look, we really don't have anything here, and this is an issue that was pretty much involved people that were outside of USC's control or knowledge, you know, there's going to be thousands of folks whose, uh, you know, choice of uh, team colors are blue and gold that will just probably not get through the week. I mean, if they, uh, if they don't come down and, you know, penalize them as harshly as the NCAA has ever penalized anybody. So I, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know where this is going. And I don't know that the USC people, if you ever hear anything, it's only when it might happen, not exactly what is going to happen. And, you know, we're hearing, I think, you know, we were talking there, we're hearing not too, you know, not too distant in the future. Uh, you have to think they were pretty well ready to do what they were going to do before the possibility of the Bush depositions came up last week. So they would hold it off for that. They had to hold it off for the possibility. Uh, since that didn't happen, you would think they were, you know, pretty much ready to go. So uh, one would think it's not going to be that long. Uh, but how it's going to ha- how it's going to turn out, I don't know how anybody could even begin to guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, the good thing is Dan, it should be over soon. So that's the it's been five right. years or whatever in the making, but we should know we should know something either way. And uh, pretty soon there. So, well, thanks. Yeah, for that. And that was always my contention is I wish USC would have been more proactive and really would have been uh, pushed much more publicly, much harder to try to get this ended and, and, and much more clear in how much they needed Reggie to say whatever he was going to say and how, how much they needed, you know, that to happen really quickly or to at least very much look like they were really, they were pushing him to do that. And I wish they'd have been a little bit more out front so that, as I, as I was saying, that USC looked like they were part of the posse, not part of the, you know, guys that were running from the law, you know, <laughs> I don't say they were, it's just the perception. I think the perception needed to be changed that, um, that everybody at USC was saying, go ahead, Reggie, don't tell them a thing, you know, go ahead and go. And I wish that would have not been the perception, which I think is the perception out there. Right. All right. And, well, well, that's good. Uh, and, uh, yeah. For, I mean, Reggie could have probably settled that thing three, four years ago, and this would have been a lot quiet. <laughs> probably been a lot Yeah, less. right. He could have either settled it or he could have come out and said, you know, this is a little embarrassing. Here, here's what I knew or here's what I didn't know. And I was embarrassed. I didn't want anybody at USC. This is just a hypothetical, but I didn't want anybody at USC to know, you know, when I found out, blah, 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 something, you know, give us something. And he didn't, I think he kind of owed it to USC when you look at what's happened in his career and how, uh, you know, fortunate he's been in so many ways. Not that he didn't, you know, he worked his butt off. I don't think people understand how hard, how hard Reggie worked. This wasn't just, you know, natural ability and 
he got very lucky. This was uh, uh, a guy who worked, 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 and uh, and and deserved what he got. I think he really was. Uh, but uh, we needed him to to come forward and be a little bit more open about it, as much as he could be, without if it was going to be terribly embarrassing to you know his family and all that. There would have been a way. Maybe he could have at least expressed some things that that might have uh, made the case in the public forum for USC, and that didn't happen. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a good question from Perry. We'll hopefully maybe we'll know even more by next week's podcast. But we'll let you know. We'll keep you up to date, Perry. Last question we got from Brad. Uh, he just read about the Max Wittick verbal. He's the quarterback from Modern Day. Um, you know, so his uh, he want, uh, his question was, how important do you think it is to have this stable set of quarterbacks lined up, with Barkley guaranteed only two more years, barring any kind of injuries? Jesse Scroggins comes in the fall, and now Wittick is scheduled to come in in 2011. No, I mean it's lining up perfectly. Uh, to be honest with you, and having uh, we were talking about this, watched ten minutes of Wittick highlights. Uh, 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 he's better than you know than I had realized. Uh, his feet are so good. He's got a, a controlled throwing motion that I, I really like. It's like kind of throwing darts uh, and a uh, uh, very athletic uh, uh, kid with just terrific feet and uh, uh, you know an aggressive aggressive kid uh, and having you know and then you hear you know a lot of good stuff about Scroggins. So you have two guys like that who. You know, can really uh, be uh, you know kind of battling one uh, one another out <clears throat> one year after the next, and uh, both of them behind uh, behind Barkley, and you get a chance to to really make some decisions about them. And I, I mean, I think they've handled this year's quarterback situation really well. I think uh, uh, Mitch, I think, feels more a part of this uh, uh, program than maybe he's ever ever been, and they need him to be because uh, I think we go into the year thinking you got to be able to win any game on the schedule with Mitch at quarterback. If for some reason, you know, uh, Matt, uh, you know, gets an you know gets injured or something happens on a on a particular week, you got to, you know, Oklahoma showed with all those great players that got taken in the NFL draft. If you don't have your quarterback, uh, where are you? So I think USC may be in a situation where. Where uh, they have a, a quarterback who can win any of the games that you know that they uh, that they're going to play, and I think it's a really good situation. And if you can mirror that, say in a couple of years, with two more quarterbacks uh, that you can go into a game thinking, you know, we can win with either one of these kids. Uh, and I think the way they've handled the competition this year will be a good, uh, you know, a good sign for how they're going to handle it, you know, in future years. So I think it sets up really well uh, uh, having two coming in over the next you know this year next year to follow the two that are here now is uh it's uh i mean that's i don't think you could ask for any more than that uh, i think that having the two is just right three three's tougher to handle that third guy knows whoever the third guy is and it's not the same situation but having two guys i think really works well it's worked really well this year uh i mean they can give mitch for example a, a great amount of uh of, uh, of time. And, uh, I think, you know, there's a real comfort level with, uh, with the two quarterbacks this year. So, uh, so I think he's right. I think, uh, the having two more down the road to do the same thing is, is exactly what USC, uh, fans probably ought to be hoping for. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens. I think it's better for sure than to have them both come in the same year, but we'll see. It'll be a good competition down the road, but obviously there's still a lot more 
a lot of football to be played before all that kind of happens and stuff. But there is, but I think it's going to be a really interesting year. I think, uh, I mean, and you've got the double thing. I think Lane is, you know, has really set up the coaching staff well and, you bring in a guy like uh, Ed Orgeron, who has the, you know, I mean, you've got a guy there who may be, A, the best defensive line coach that we've seen in college football. I don't know. How far do you want to go? But, and maybe the best recruiter that we've seen in college. And he's the same guy. I mean, it's just, it, it's unbelievable how important uh, having somebody like that in the program is and a guy who coaches every minute he's out there on a, and every minute he's challenging people and yet he's so involved in the in the recruiting and having a guy I mean I love it that the defensive line coach is the guy who's recruiting your next you know maybe all-american quarterback because I think he puts kind of a charge into some of some of these guys he's coming from a different place as the defensive line coach and I think that's a really good thing to have your quarterbacks coming in identifying to some extent with your defensive line coach uh i think and obviously lane's involved there too because he does so much you know he does all you know the play calling and what have you but i think it's a the staff is the way it works together on on situations like that uh you have to really like this is there's a kind of a teamwork among this staff that uh we probably haven't seen in a long long time at usc and I think it's re- it's refreshing to the players and for those of us who watch it. To uh, if you talk to one of the coaches, they'll be telling you something that one of the other coaches said in a meeting. Which you know they were paying attention, they were listening to them, and uh, you can tell the kids talk about he- hearing so many different voices and not just one voice, uh, uh, and and how much they like that. And they really do seem to you know to trust trust these guys. So uh, uh, I mean I I think uh, you know just you can look at a recruiting of a quarterback and then extrapolate it to what's happening on the field every day and the way the coaches are working together and, uh, and, and really like what that says for, for how things are, you know, how things are going. No, I agree with you, Dan. All right. Well, thank you for uh, joining us in the podcast again. We'll hopefully get to talk to you next week, right after the huddle. Oh, that's right. It will be after the huddle. Hard to believe. Isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I know. Cool. Okay. All right. Thanks, well, Ryan. thanks again. Thanks again, Dan. Bye. Everyone else. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Gerard Martinez about USC recruiting. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting in this segment with uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, what's going on today, sir? Nothing much. Still trying to recover from a very, very long weekend of uh, football at Howard Jones Field. Yeah, the, we, uh, the USC Nike camp, the Los Angeles Nike camp was at USC uh, on Sunday. It was a long day for us. We got a lot of a lot of good stuff down there. There were a lot of uh, impressive-looking players and uh, 
We've got a lot of video we've been putting up on uscfootball.com. We'll keep putting it up all week, so you can check out some of the uh, top prospects from Southern California, but around the West, too, that, that came down to the uh, Nike camp. But we did have a question, Gerard. Um, Perry had a question about for, for you uh, the, the positions of need at USC. Who do you think was the most impressive prospects that were at the Nike camp for some of the positions that USC is really looking to recruit hard? Well, in terms of position of need, I think the camp had one position that was probably stronger than the others. Um, you know, offensive line, I think it's a down year for California in general um, in terms of depth and, and really even at the very top. Uh, there are not a lot of really big-time guys that you would consider maybe five-star guys on the offensive line. Uh, but I think at linebacker, there was maybe some pleasant surprise. I think the group was solid overall. And the MVP ended up being Trey Madden from Mission Viejo, who's yeah, about six foot, yeah, 215, 220 range, um, plays middle linebacker at Mission Viejo, has excellent film. I mean, he's a guy that's very quick, um, great instincts for the football. Uh, I like what I see from him on tape in terms of his physical ability, his aggressiveness, his instincts. When you get to a camp like this, linebacker and running back are the two positions that are really hard to evaluate because they're non-contact. Uh, but I think in this case, having seen Trey Madden on film and watched him a little bit uh, from uh, you know, a pad standpoint and liking you know, his physical abilities, you take into the, you know, guess in consideration watching the, at the camp, you want to see, evaluate kind of his feet and how he does in space. Some of the things he does in coverage, you know, the things that don't have to really do with you know, tackling and just the fundamentals of football and I liked what I saw from him. I mean, he was really good in coverage. He ended up getting the MVP based on what he did in coverage. Um, he had good ball skills. I think that was probably the thing that probably impressed me the most is that, you know, when the ball was in the air, he really found it well. He really seemed to position himself well. He was going against very small scat back type running backs that, you know, have the advantage in those kind of drills where you're talking about a route where the linebackers off the line of scrimmage, um, He's pretty much the running back has the whole field. I mean, he can go wherever he wants. He can run a chair route. He can run an out route. He can run a, a double move. And a lot of those running backs like to do the double move because they're going against linebackers, and that's a mass, that's a mismatch in most cases. And uh, with Trey Madden, I mean, he was on top of it, and he did a good job in coverage. I, I like to see his feet. Um, I think he's a guy that USC is going to have to consider offering uh, sometime here in the next couple months. Uh, I think they're probably going to evaluate him in person, maybe um, come down to one of his practices. Uh, they are you know, trying to get him to the Rising Stars camp. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I see a lot of things from him at this point that um, I think when you combine it with his film and what he's doing on film, uh, he looks like a really good player. And, you know, to top off just getting the MVP at the Nike camp, he also got invited to the Army All-American game. So, I mean, that's two segments of uh, observers there at the Nike camp that decided, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the top, you know, 80 players uh, in the country, at least, uh, when you're talking about the Army All-American Bowl. So uh, that was big, and, and obviously USC needs linebackers. I think for USC, Trey Madden would probably look more, uh, he would project more as a will linebacker, just because he's not huge. He plays Mike uh, at Mission Viejo, but I think being a guy that's not, you know, he's only in that 215, maybe a little higher, maybe 220 range um, at six foot, he really fills the will linebacker position more than he would Mike linebacker. And he's a guy that finishes plays really well, and he's quick and he's fast. So I don't think it'd be a real big issue putting him at will. I mean, you got to remember Kaluka Manea was a guy that was only 5'11", 215 when he came into uh, USC out of Hawaii. And so, I mean, 
mean, your wheel linebackers are, tend to be the more small, athletic-type guys that finish off plays more than they are taking off blocks. They're not a forced linebacker position. They're not guys you're going to put up on the line of scrimmage and, and really have to go against a bunch of tight ends and, and fullbacks necessarily. They're guys that tend to make a lot of plays on the backside. Um, and linebacker, you also had Aaron Wallace Jr., who uh, showed out pretty well at the camp. He was a guy that really kind of stormed onto the scene. Nobody really knew about him um, at the TCU Nike camp. His dad played for Texas A&M as a leading sack leader for Texas A&M. And uh, Aaron went out to Texas and, and kind of came out of nowhere and, and surprised a lot of people. Won the MVP for the linebacker position at the TCU Nike camp, turned around and ended up uh, coming to the USC Nike camp and almost won it. Uh, he was there kind of tied at the end of the camp with Trey Madden, and it came down to the last couple reps between those two. Um, he had a great camp. He did well in coverage again. He's a, he's a big kid. I mean, he's a legitimate six, about 6'4", 215, um, real long arms. I think the question mark with him uh, seeing his pedigree is whether he becomes a linebacker or maybe puts his hand down and is a defensive end in college because he really does have the height, and he's starting to put on the weight now. Um, in coverage, he's okay. He's, he's fast enough, but he's a little bit of a long strider. Um, there are certain – times where, you know, I say with Madden, when the ball's in the air, he really looked comfortable going after it. Uh, not really the case with Aaron Wallace. He, he's a little less, I think, uh, uh, he doesn't have quite the ball awareness and the field awareness as a guy like Trey Madden. Um, so you question instincts. And in terms of his film, now his film is not quite as impressive as Trey Madden in terms of physicality. And I think that's going to be the evaluation point for USC. Um, even with tape, and watching him uh, from a camp standpoint, I don't know if they're going to be convinced until they kind of see him put the pads on and play and be physical. I mean, that's a question mark with him. So the camp didn't do as much for him as it does for a guy like Trey Madden. Um, but it's a big body in USC. I mean, they need linebackers bad. So everybody that can play the position and has any kind of physical ability is going to get a look. So I think, you know, those are the top two players at the real lead position that, that USC is going to, going to have to look at and evaluate, um, you know, down the line here as we get in the main evaluation process. Uh, offensive line, like I said, not a great year for USC, or excuse me, for California in general. Um, and, yeah, not, in turn, not a great year for USC locally. They're going to have to kind of stretch on some guys and project down the way. I think the one big surprise uh, if there was one on the offensive line for the Nike camp was Marcus Martin. Um, you know, Marcus is not a good body guy, meaning that he has a lot of bad body weight. He's a little out of shape. He came in at the five-star academy at UCLA uh, a few weeks ago at, I think, 350-plus pounds. He's down a little bit, lost a little bit of weight. He's probably more in that 335 range at this point. Um, but he shows great feet, great balance, and he took on Antoine Woods. And after getting beat by Antoine Woods, who's committed to USC already and considered one of the top defensive tackles in the West, if not the country, uh, he came back at the next two reps and shut him down and, and pretty much shut down everybody else he, he went against. And a guy who projects as a guard, uh, you know, those are the kind of guys that with it not being a great year for offensive linemen in California, he, USC's going to have to look at a guy like that really hard and, and see, you know, he's got talent. Can we mold him and, and get him on the proper training program, uh, get him fit, where he could be a guy that could be an impact player for us? And I think, you know, that's, that's one of those guys that uh, we're going to have to watch down the ways and, and see, you know, if USC is going to pull the trigger on a guy like that that they need to project on more. Because, like I said, it's not a great year for offensive linemen in California. No, certainly not. But Martin, Martin did pro play really well. He stood up uh, Woods a couple of times. I mean, really just 
put you know put his body there. He had his feet in the right place and uh, used his hands well. And and Woods had no place to go on a couple of those reps, and they just kind of hugged afterwards. And uh, he was kind of an afterthought going in there, but I think he really helped himself. So I think USC will definitely get some more looks at him at camps over the summer, and we'll see what happens there. The other one on the offensive line, what did you think of Seosi Iono? He seemed to have a pretty good day as well. He played well, and I think um, I think we saw everything from C.O.C. that we expected to. He's quick. He's got really good feet. He's got good low leverage. I think he's more of a center, and really, at a camp like that, it's kind of tough to see, uh, you know, what a guy does at a center. With the Rising Stars camp, it's a little different because you'll see 11-on-11 11 11 drills, and you'll see full line drills where guys will, you know, you'll have all four defensive linemen rushing, all five offensive linemen. And I think with the center you need to see that. You need to see kind of a team drill where a guy can make some calls, um, make some adjustments on the line. He's hiking the ball with the quarterback there, and he's being rushed at the same time. You don't see that at, at a Nike camp. It's just not the same kind of contact intensity. And I think with him, you're going to look at him projected probably as a center. He's not real big. He's probably about that six one and a half, six two range and getting close to about 280, 285 right now. But he's quick. He's aggressive. Um, he was pretty good in pass pro, playing a little bit of guard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he's a guy that also I think we – I mean, we expected a little bit from him coming in, whereas, you know, uh, Martin, you know, he just kind of didn't know if he was going to come in shape, and he didn't look like he's in the best shape. So you go, well, you know, it's going to kind of follow that maybe he's not going to play real well, but he did play well. And I think offensive line overall, you know, the position held their own – a lot more than people expected coming in. I, I think we all kind of thought, you know, these guys, it's just a down year, and it's such a good year, you know, opposite with uh, with um, with the defensive line that the defensive line was just going to go right through them, and it didn't really happen. I mean, there were some battles. Obviously, some guys like um, Greg Townsend Jr. and Todd Barr had their way. I think those guys were by far the two most dominant defensive linemen. Greg Townsend Jr. was maybe arguably the best player at the camp um, overall. Uh, he's uh, he's just, you know, he's a beast, and, and he's really young. I think the one thing is people keep asking me, you know, compare him to some of the other defensive ends that have come through uh, California and, and the guys that USC has recruited over the past couple of years. And the immediate, I think the immediate comparison comes with Devon Kennard just because body type. I mean, he's similar to Devon. He's about that 6'3", 240 range. Uh, Devon ended up being... Um, around this time, probably about 6'3", 265. He's a little thicker, but similar in terms of their build and whatnot. And uh, Greg is probably just a, a tad more athletic, um, but they're all on the same lines. And uh, I think the one thing with Greg right now is that he's really aggressive. I mean, he's really starting to become confident, and he's a little bit of a talker now, and he's you know kind of an intimidator. And it's you know you go back to his dad and the way he played with the Raiders. Um, you know, you would imagine, yeah, he's probably going to be an intimidator. But it was funny because last year we saw him, and he was such a young kid. He was pretty quiet and everything, but now he's starting to kind of come into his own, and he's getting a little more chatty and getting a, a little more, I think, uh, psyching out some of those offensive linemen that he's going against. And, you know, Sunday there was really nobody that could really stop him. Yeah, and I, I agree. The offensive line kind of held their own with without having some of the big-name guys out there. There's some guys that are – you know, people have talked about a little bit, but you might see a few of those guys start to pop up on some of the Pac-10 recruiting radars coming up soon. I don't know, you know, if we'll see any guys get to the USC level, but we'll have to see. There might be some late bloomers in that group. Is there anyone else from that group you thought that that has a chance to maybe down the road, you know, through their senior year, get a get a late offer from a Pac-10 school? 
Um, you know, one of the kids, John Wolf, was a guy that kept coming up. Um, you know, we were watching some of the tape, and, and that's the one thing that's really, really nice is when we get down there and we're able to take a lot of video, and we had all, you know, video access that we wanted. You get to kind of take a step back and look and see what really happened because you're focused on trying to watch the main guys and, and, and see how they're really playing. And, and you know, it's, it's not always about the end result. You know, in a one-on-one pass rushing drill, it's not all about who gets beat and who gets the quarterback and who blocks who. It's sometimes about how guys are just playing, you know. And if a guy gets beat, why did he get beat? And I think with, uh, with, with watching the film, you kind of get to see some other guys who did well. And John Wolfe was a guy that kind of popped out of nowhere from Gresham, Oregon, um, that I don't know anything about, really. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy that completely off the radar, but playing guard was, was really physical and, and used his feet and punched well. Um, he really, you know, technically, I think, was one of the better linemen at the camp. And, again, physically, that's one of those things that you really can't teach. You know, it's like you've you got to be aggressive, you've got to be physical, uh, or you're not. And I think he's one of those guys that jumped in line, got in the line a lot, and is really pushing it as far as, uh, you know, being a part of, um, a, a, a kind of a, a group that had a chip on their shoulder, you know, offensive linemen. I think they came in and they realized that everybody was talking about the defensive linemen, and you know that was kind of their their shot to to be able to maybe make a name for themselves. And they did a pretty good job. I mean, it wasn't uh, a spectacular group necessarily, but it was a good enough group. And I think uh, uh, maybe another guy that probably popped up was Chandler, uh, Arizona. Um, there's a kid named Tyler Johnstone who showed up who had a really good frame about him, you know, really tall kid. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know what his exact measurements were, but he probably was in that six five, two sixty five range. Um, and a really good frame and uh, another guy that you really don't know much about and not from California, kind of from the Pac and area, um, the region in general. So, you know, there's a lot more that has to go into him evaluation wise and, and watching what he did actually as a junior on film. But at a camp like that, I mean, the guy's a big body, and, you know, when USC's looking for an offensive lineman and they're searching high and low, because it's such a down year in California, it's been like that for the last few years. Um, maybe there's a guy like, you know, Tyler Johnstone who comes out of nowhere and ends up getting a USC offer. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. The Stanford Nike camp is going to be interesting also because that's where you tend to see more of the Arizona guys pop in. And at this point, you know, Tyler Johnstone is a name that's popped up, but there's a lot of other names in Arizona as well that are coming along that, uh, that people are looking forward to, and those guys might be at the Stanford Nike camp. So we'll see how that goes. All right. And then another name, big name out there, uh, DeAnthony Thomas of Black Mamba, Crenshaw High School, running back, defensive back. So he comes in, and it looks like he's not going to do anything. He's got his jersey on. But it's just in, you know, just kind of hanging out, watching and stuff. And then I was hanging around the defensive back drills, and I see him reaching down for his cleats. So I instantly grab my camera and head over there. Um, so he put. It seems like he got a little antsy and he wanted to uh, participate a little bit. So he puts his cleats on, even though he's wearing an offensive jersey. He went out and he uh, started doing drills with the defensive backs. And uh, what 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 do you think of uh, what DeAnthony Thomas did? He ended up getting the camp MVP, but how do you think he had a, how, how was his day? I, I don't know if he was the best player at defensive back. Honestly, I, I don't, I kind of feel like he was really a little too raw in terms of, uh, you know, how he went one-on-one with guys. And, and there were probably some more deserving defensive backs in terms of getting the award, but in terms of who's the best player in general, who has the most potential as a defensive back at that camp, I think it would be hard to argue against uh, DeAnthony Thomas. There's been a lot of debate uh, you know, throughout the, the, the past couple of years with him. Where is he going to play in college? And, and where 
is USC going to recruit him uh, for in college? And I, I think I think after the playoffs and after the game he had against Narbonne at the Coliseum, that was silenced to some extent. People started feeling, yeah, he's going to be a running back. He's really too explosive with the ball in his hands. He's too fast. You've got to have a guy like that on offense. Um, and then he comes in and he plays defensive back at the camp, which is great because, like I said, running back and linebacker are the two positions that you really don't get to evaluate a whole lot of in a, in a, in a camp like this that's non-contact. I mean, running backs, what do you get to see from running back other than is he a good receiver um, at a camp that's non-contact? Uh, where, you know, playing defensive back, you, you get to see a lot. I mean, you get to see what guys do. You know, obviously they don't get to tackle, but if you're recruiting a guy like DeAnthony Thomas as a, as a cornerback, um, you know, tackling is not at the top of the list as far as we want to evaluate from uh, his attributes. And we know from watching him, you know, for the last four years, really, I've seen him play since he was a freshman. He's a guy that's aggressive. And you can even see that at the non-contact camp. He's going and he's, you know, throwing elbows and he's trying to get press on guys and, and ride them out of bounds. He was just kind of reckless at, at points. You know, technically, he doesn't have any real idea, I think, as to, you know, how to play the defensive back position. He was just kind of going out there and winging it. But you got to see a lot of him. He would get beat on a, on a move. And he's just so fast that he'd still make a play on the ball. You know, he'd still be able to make up those five yards, whereas a lot of guys, once they're beat, they're beat. And that's what you got to see from him. So, yeah, it was it was good. It, it really, I think, confused things more than anything when it's coming to his recruitment and which side of the ball he's going to play on in college because he really started talking about how his mindset has changed towards playing defensive back in college because of his size. I mean, he's only 5'9", maybe 5'10", 160 pounds. So he's talking, you know, I'm not going to be 220 in college. I'm not going to be 230. So, I mean, really, do I have a future playing running back in the NFL? Probably not. So I've got to start looking at defensive back. But then at the same time, he's not totally sold on not playing running back in college. When he equates playing football at USC, he starts talking about Reggie Bush. And he talked a little bit about Dylan Baxter as well. And we did a, you know, a complete update with that. You can check it out on the site he really kind of seems to think still, you know, his future, at least at the college level, is with the ball in his hands playing running back. And even though he's looking down the line at the NFL and thinking maybe it's defensive back, I think at some point he wants to play running back at college and then maybe try to play both ways. Again, it it just confused the situation more. A lot of people, I think, interviewed him, talked to him, and just went with the whole, oh, yeah, you want to play defensive back now. And and I kind of dug a little further, and I was like, well, wait a second. You know, you, you say you're starting to think about playing defensive back now, but then when you talk about USC, you're talking about Reggie Bush, you're talking about Joe McKnight, you're talking about Dylan Baxter. I mean, where do you really want to play? And the truth is, he doesn't know. So it's interesting. We'll see how it goes, and we'll see how it affects his recruitment. I mean, he, he says he doesn't have a, a, a position preference, but I think he does, and I think he wants to play offense. Well, we'll see, but he would definitely uh... – Impressed a lot of the scouts and everybody kind of watching all the coaches and stuff watching at the camp down there. And it was, you know, it was funny the way, did he say why he came in late and just, did he just decide to play? Well, he has a, a little of a hamstring issue. Um, and he and uh, Victor Blackwell, the receiver, who's uh, his uh, godbrother, both came in and they both run track. So uh, he had a little bit of a hamstring issue and being a big track guy, they, they're very, very hesitant whenever, you know, they have any kind of injuries not to, not to you know in, impede on what they're doing with track, and I think the track coaches are probably on him too about not participating. And I think it was just one of those things where he just started seeing people compete, and 
you know, the juices started flowing and he wanted to get out there and show what he could do. Yeah, and he certainly did. So I got the, the MVP there. All right, well, Gerard, good stuff. A lot of uh, interesting occurrences over at the Nike camp and there are more camps and stuff coming. So we'll be talking to you, I think, all summer about what you know who's doing what at all these camps and how USA. And the biggest news, and the biggest news, which we have to throw in here at the end. Oh, okay. Because and, and it kind of goes and it kind of goes well with how it broke uh, is the commitment of Max Wedick, which was you know kind of a oh yeah by the way uh, this weekend. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, how how long did that story uh, uh, stay on our front page for? Uh, three hours. Yeah, it wasn't we didn't have a whole lot of time. It, it was like we were at the Nike camp. We start getting texts. I texted Max like right away, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, I committed to USC." So. We did a quick interview with him. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in the uh, segment with Dan Dan Weber about the future of quarterback at USC. But that that was like you know really big news. He didn't go to the Nike camp. He you know he had decided to commit to USC that morning and didn't participate. So it kind of left some, a void there for quarterbacks. But yeah, it was really big news for USC. And he's he's a big dude. He's a a lot of people keep asking you know like you said the future. Of the quarterback position, you know, where's USC going to go? You know, there was some talk about them, uh, you know, offering some guys that were more of that athletic quarterback type guys. And, uh, 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 you know, Winnick is certainly pro-style guy first. He's a big kid. I think we had him listed at 200 pounds for a while. He's much bigger than that. He's probably about 6'4", 220 almost at this point. He's a big dude. And he is that prototypical play-action setup passer with the big arm, um, you know, with a part-time starter for most of the year last year. So really didn't get to see, um, you know, him in the beginning of the year, but he came on really strong towards the end of the year into the playoff and ended up, you know, having more passing yards than a guy uh, like uh, Jeff Driscoll who committed to Florida. And there was a lot of talk, you know, going back and forth uh, with Driscoll and, and with because they both had Florida offers and there was some talk like, Oh, well, you know, Driscoll's going to commit first. And, and, and you know, Wittick is, is going to pretty much, I think Wittick got the ultimatum. Hey, you know, we want to take Driscoll um, if you're not going to commit right away. And it sounds like, you know, that's what Florida ended up doing. They ended up going on Driscoll because he was ready to commit right away. Where uh, I, I, I want to say Wittick got offered first by Florida, but I'm not 100% sure uh, about that. But USC was also recruiting both guys and they had not offered Driscoll yet, but uh, went ahead and offered Wittick. And I think, you know, in general, I mean, you're looking at a guy like Driscoll who plays in a little more of that spread run option type offense. He's a big guy, too, and, and considered more of a pocket passer, but he does play in that spread type offense. That would open up the question a little more as to, you know, what is the future of USC's quarterback position? What's the future of the offense if you bring in a guy like that? And But with Wittick, I mean, he's a modern-day quarterback. He is a pro-style quarterback. He's uh, he's what we've seen for years at USC, and so you know I, I don't think it, it it offers many questions as to you know where the offense is headed or the style or the scheme of offense. All right, well Gerard, thanks again for all your insights, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you next week. Talk about more USC recruiting. Yes, post the spring game, so we'll see who shows up for that. So it should be exciting. Yeah, there'll be a lot of recruits down there this Saturday at the Coliseum, twelve p.m. Ten bucks to get in. There should be a bunch of recruits watching the spring game. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for all the questions. This is the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next week. You 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.